Well, y'all can take a seat. Good morning. It is fantastic to be with you guys today. Um, uh, once again, I, uh, I, if I've not met you yet, my name's Thomas, and uh, typically I'm with our uh, youth ministry across the street. But uh, thank you. Uh, but I'm glad to be with you guys this morning. Uh, what I want us to do, um, I want you to, you know, picture for a second the most famous person that you have ever met. Okay, that you actually met, not like I saw Johnny Manziel on the field. No, no, like met, like you talk with them or shook their hand or whatever. Just picture that person. Um, okay, I, I don't know if you have them. And, and uh, some of you are like, I've traveled the world. I've bought backstage passes. Like I've met Taylor Swift. Like I have an outfit that I have curated to match hers or whatever. And some of you are like, I have never left BCS. Like, the only, the only famous I've met is College Station famous, okay? Um, and that's kind of where I, I, I reside. I haven't met many famous people in my day. Uh, but when I was in college, uh, the director of Breakaway was Ben Stewart, uh, which many of you guys know, fantastic teacher. Many of you don't know him, uh, and that's okay. But he was the director, the teacher, every week at Breakaway. And I remember thinking, as a young believer, like, he is so cool. Like, just man, like he can teach and he's funny and he's all these things. And me and my roommates, right, like, uh, well, like, well, I never met him. Like I would, we would talk if we saw him out in the wild, right? You know, it's kind of like when kids uh, see their like teacher at the grocery store and you're like, whoa, she's buying grapes. Like, look, what is happening? Um, and, and you see them, like, right, you see them in one sense on stage and in, in movies or whatever, but then to see them in person, right, changes. It's like, wow. You get to see their mannerisms and the way they eat their food or, or the way that they walk. And you're like, man, he drinks water. I drink water. We're like this. Yeah, like you watch them and you observe them. And you're maybe, you, and what happens is if you end up talking with them, right, we are nervous. We like forget our name and we say things that are kind of silly. And we're, and we're just, right, we're floored when you come face to face with someone who is famous. Now, I, I say all that because I want to start by reading one of the most famous passages in Scripture, and today is Palm Sunday, um, and you don't have to turn there, but, but you have this moment where Jesus is presented as the king, and he's moving into Jerusalem. So look at this. This is Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 35. Look what it says. It says, they brought it, that's the colt, uh, to Jesus, and they threw their colt, uh, coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road. As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all of the miracles that they had seen, shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory to God in the highest. And you have this moment where Jesus is being seen as he truly is as the king. Now, for a lot of us, as we enter into this week, right, it's, it's easy to look at Jesus as a famous person, right? The whole world is kind of setting their mind on him this week, which is very interesting, right? It's a very unique time, right? And there's like documentaries that are being released about Jesus and Whoa, what happened, right? Like the History Channel or whatever is like releasing things. And it's very easy just to see Jesus as a famous person or someone distant. And what I want to do today is try to curate one of those encounters where you see him, right? Like see what, what is Jesus's order when he goes to the restaurant or like how does he drink his, like see him up close. 
And I want to look at this question today. What kind of king do we serve? Right, because they're shouting, this is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. But what kind of king is he? What is he like? And so we're not actually going to sit in Luke 19. I want you to turn your Bible to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. And that is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time today. Because I want to argue this. I want us to see Jesus as a king who sees us, who longs to dwell with us, and transforms us. Jesus is a king who sees us, longs to dwell with us, and transforms us. So if you have a Bible, go to Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 27. And this is my first point. Jesus is a king who sees us. It says, after that, he, that being Jesus, went out and he noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. So I just want to pause right there and just kind of point out what is happening, right? Jesus is kind of putting together his little team, his 12, his disciples, and he's beginning to call them to follow him. Right, he has approached Peter and he's approached some of the other disciples who are fishermen. And he's saying, I want you to follow me. He is crossed, uh, uh, right? Like he, he is calling people who, who aren't typically noble or powerful or influential. I love what Paul writes in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 1.26. Not many of you were wise, influential, or noble, uh, right, when you were called. And it's like, that's the most encouraging roast that I have ever heard, right? It's like, wait, that's talking about us as believers, right? Not many of you amounted to much when Jesus called, right? He's assembling a team that's not by the world's standards, producing the best resume. He's taking fishermen, the uneducated, the poor, and he's assembling this team. But one line he hasn't quite crossed yet is this line of tax collector. And so when you read this passage, it says, He went out and he noticed a tax collector named Levi, which some of your Bibles may say Matthew. Matthew and Levi are the same person. It's two different names uh, for the same person. And so Jesus notices this tax collector. Now, when you hear the word tax collector, um, right, to us, maybe we just think like, oh, it's tax season, right? Like, what a drag. Like, this is not great. But to, to, to a Jew, a tax collector was seen as someone immoral, someone who had betrayed their own country, The Mishnah, which is the collection of oral teachings of Judaism, considered tax collectors to be on the same moral ground as thieves and murderers. Because tax collectors were people who had bought the right from 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 a foreign government to tax the people. And so they were seen as people who had betrayed their own countrymen, people who had thrown their brothers and sisters under the bus in order to make a profit for themselves. And the problem was the more someone taxed, the more money they made because they kind of received a commission. And so the the tax collector position was fraught with corruption, overtaxation, so that they can make money for themselves. And so they were hated by the Jews. Even more so than that, to be a tax collector meant you had to punt on the Jewish law. 
You had to work on the Sabbath. You were operating according to the Roman calendar, not the Jewish calendar. You had to interact with people in a way that the law would have said, this makes you unclean. So to be a tax collector was to say, I reject the law of God, and I am choosing my own security and my own finances. It doesn't matter who I trample in the way as long as I take care of me. So when you see Jesus say he noticed a tax collector, right, if you're a Jew, you should be thinking, man, this is, that, like, who's this guy? Even Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 5 says this, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Aren't even the tax collectors doing that? Which, if the Messiah says that about you, how bad is your reputation? Right? And so, Jesus sees him. It's this Greek word, theomai, right? It's, it's like he sees him, he notices him, right? You, you look at uh, Jesus. He is not approached by Matthew and Levi, right? He's, he's not just trailing behind uh, Jesus and say, hey, can I join your little club? Can I be a part of this? Jesus approaches Matthew in his tax booth, in the middle of a, like a work day, and starts speaking with him. And what is amazing about this is that Jesus takes notice of him. He sees him, right? I, there's, I see this all the time. I work in youth ministry, right? There's a lot of, uh, right, you go to camp, and what happens is new relationships start to sprout up, right? And it's this process, right? All the guys start to notice the girls in our youth ministry. And it's this idea, I'm like, there's a lot of theomai happening, right? After a session or something here, right? There's interest. It's that person walks into the room and I see them. You can think back to when you first met your wife or your husband, right? Like you're, you're infatuated with them. You, you, you want to be around them. You want to see them, right? And, and there's this context here where Jesus is just like, I take notice of you, Matthew. I see you, I see all of who you are. And that's what, that's what I want you to, you to understand, right? Because Jesus sees all of us. He is the king, the creator, yet he is mindful of each and every one of us. That is the kind of king that he is. I want you to look at this passage. It's up on the screen in Jeremiah. Jeremiah writes this, and he says, Before I formed you, this is God speaking, in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. So I want you to think about this, right? As Jeremiah was being formed together in his mom, right, in her womb, Jesus says, God says, I was there. I was mindful of what was happening. I was watching all the molecules and everything come together to make you, you. So God knows my name. He knows your name. He knows I'm six foot six. Right? He knows some of my preferences. And he knows that, right, like the things that I like, he is mindful of me. He knows who I am in my being. But even more than that, he also is aware and sees our thoughts and our actions. I want to highlight this passage from Psalm 139. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise. You understand my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all of my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all. 
You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. You can see this is David writing, and he's just saying, God, you are aware of the things in my mind. I love the line that says, you are, you are intimately acquainted with all of my ways. Even before I speak, you know what's going to come out. I love what Jesus says when he's talking about prayer. And he says, hey, the Lord knows what you need even before you ask it. He's aware of the thoughts in your head, the anxieties that you feel, the anger, the frustration, the joy that you feel. God sees that. But even more so, God also sees the situation that we are in. I want to show you yet another passage in James chapter 5. We studied this just a few weeks ago. James writes, Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth, which is the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the angel armies. And, and I just love what, what, what James is writing. And he says, Even in your job, God sees what's happening. If you feel unjustly treated, God sees that. He sees the places where you work and where you have come in this life. He says, God sees all of that. And what's more so, I love what James writes, and he says, hey, God is the commander of the heavenly host of angels. And a lot of times we think of angels as just like, like kind of like a Cupid situation, like they're overweight and flying around, their wings like barely keep them off the ground. Most of the time, angels are presented as warriors, powerful and the scripture says God is the commander of the angels, and he sees and stands ready to defend those who are unjustly treated. He sees our situation. And then the last thing I want to just point out in this point, he also sees our sin. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. This is what Hebrew says. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Perhaps one of the most terrifying passages in scripture saying it's all laid out before God. Every action, sin, relationship, God sees it all. Now you're probably like, why, why are we saying this? Why does it matter when God, when Jesus walks up and he sees Matthew in his tax collector's booth? I want you to just realize he is aware of everything that Matthew has encountered and done, the betrayals. We don't know if Matthew was corrupt or overtaxing, right? It was common in his practice, but God was aware of it. He was aware of the ways that Matthew would even cut corners. And the invitation that Jesus offers him is in light of all of that. And what I want you to hear today, right, is that Jesus sees all of you. That seems scary. Like, that seems terrifying. Like, Oh my gosh, 24 hours surveillance. Like Jesus is like reading my text messages and my phone calls. He's like, why, like, why my wire text? Like it can feel oppressive, but that's not the picture it's supposed to create. I want you to think about marriage, right? If you do premarital counseling, which I highly recommend if you're looking at marriage, uh, marriage but like there's, some, there's a process in that, right? If you are doing healthy premarital counseling, like there's a process where you guys, yes, you're seeing compatibility and, and personality and are we heading in the same direction? Yes, but there is a moment that is healthy where you both lay bare your faults before one another, right? You say, here's where I've been. Here's what I've done. Here's my finances. Here's how I've misused my money. Here's how I've, I've been a part of broken relationships. Here's how I have not been faithful in the past. And that's a scary moment because it, we're fear rejection. But what's beautiful 
is when someone looks at all that and they say, I still want to marry you. Right? There's a powerful experience for someone to look at everything in your life and to say, I'm aware of it, and to say, I want to, I want to continue. I want, let's move forward. And a lot of times with Jesus, I think, I think as we read through the Bible, we think of these offers that Jesus makes, or we think the promises that God has made towards believers, but we put an asterisk next to it, where we're like, yeah, yeah, but that was Paul, that was Peter, that was Luke, but he doesn't know Thomas, right? And the answer is Jesus knows everything. There's no asterisk on the promises that God has made. He sees everything we think where we go, he is aware of all of it. He notices Matthew and he notices us. Now, um, I, want, I want to highlight like an application here really quickly. This should give us confidence to go before our Father in heaven. Right? As we think about the king that we serve in Jesus, he says, I see it all. And I, I, I am king, but I see you. That gives us confidence as believers to say, I can approach the throne of grace confidently before God. I can receive mercy and the promises that God has made. God made those well aware of who I am. This is why the scriptures over and over and over will say things like, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Or he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. He sees it all. And I love the invitation. Jesus looks at Matthew and says, follow me. He knows everything that Matthew's been a part of. And he says, I want you to join me. Let me go to my next point here. Jesus is a king who dwells with us. Let me read this. Jump back in at verse 29. And Levi gave a big reception for him in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with them. And I love this because uh, Levi's like, let's throw a party. Like he just left work. I don't know. Like he's in his booth and, and Jesus calls him. He's like, I'm out of here. See you guys later. Like you guys can clean up. And he's like, party. We're, that's what we're going to do. That's first step. And what's amazing is that Jesus actually comes. He joins Matthew and all of his buddies at his house. And I love it. It's a big reception, which the word reception sometimes, to me, sounds a little boring. It's like, yeah, it's like, like, that, you know, that, it's like that waiting period after someone gets married and you're like waiting around at the reception. And you're like, eh, what do I do? Uh, right? They haven't served, served the food yet. I'm just kind of chilling. Right? No, it's like this is a part. Think like a Super Bowl party. Think of like a, like a tailgate, like exciting. There's life and there's good food. Right? There is good drink. There is hors d'oeuvres. Right? And you're like, we don't have those a lot, but they're here. Um, and Jesus is there and he's present and he is with them. And, he's, and it's this amazing moment of him coming into Matthew's home, which one commentator that I read said that shared meals in the Mediterranean world symbolizes shared lives. And so Jesus is approaching Matthew and saying, I want to share community and life with you. Now, I want you to picture this, because I think the gravity of this is lost, right? I want, the most famous uh, right, royalty in our world, uh, right, was qu the qu Queen of England, Queen Elizabeth, right? Although she has passed away, she was royalty for almost 100 years, and she had seen everything from uh, uh, World War II to the present day. It's just amazing, right, the things that she had seen. 
and the royalty and the honor, the people she had interacted with throughout her lifetime. Now, just imagine if somehow she was going to come to your house. And you're like, I got to clean, like get the broom, like, okay, like, the, you know, messy Sam over here. It's like, you got to get out of here. Like, you're, you're lead, like, right? If they are coming into your house, that bestows honor upon you. Like, that is strange. Normally, you meet with the king and the queen on their terms. You go to their place. So for them to step into your world, for King Jesus to say, Matthew, I'm coming to your house, and I am going to have a party with you, a reception with you, bestows great honor and communicates, Jesus says, I want to dwell with you, Matthew. I want to be with you. I don't just want to call you from your life of tax collecting. I actually want to live life with you. I want to be right here with you. The theme of feasting is all over scripture. I, I, I love this, this idea of just dwelling and being with Jesus, specifically around a table with food. Look at Isaiah 25, 6. It says, the Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain, a banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow, and refined aged wine. Right? Isaiah repeats wine twice on here, right? Um, and and it's just, he's emphasizing, man, we will dine with our king someday. I love what Luke says. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. And he says, and when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And it's this amazing picture where, where Jesus is with his disciples the night before he will be killed and crucified. And he says, I drink this cup with you right now. And I'm about to leave you. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be taken away from you. But I will drink with you again. I will dine with you again. You will join me around a great banquet in heaven because I desire to dwell with you. I love what Revelation paints. Chapter 21, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them. Somehow we've gotten off track, I think, that we just think Jesus just wants a bunch of, us to do a bunch of stuff for him when primarily what we get in a relationship with Jesus is that we get to be with him. And that's the future of heaven is, is this promise of being with God and seeing him as he is with nothing blocking us from him. A lot of times we think we're going to be like, it's going to be like jumping world, like you're jumping on clouds and bouncing and I don't know what you're doing, right? But there's this idea of dining and feasting with the king and he will dwell with us. I love what, what Revelation 21 says at the end, and the city will have no need of sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has, a, has illumined it, and its lamp is the lamb. They're like, yeah, sun, moon, that's so 2023, okay? You have the glory of God now. You don't even need any of that. Irrelevant. They pale in comparison. They are chump change compared to the, the glory and the presence of God with us. He is a king who dwells with us. But even more than that, look at Galatians 4. We are given his spirit right now as believers. His presence is with us. 
Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit is referred to in several different names, right? He is referred to as the Holy Spirit, but also as the spirit of Christ, or here, the spirit of his son. Jesus, his presence is promised to us, not just in the future, but with us right now through his spirit. Jesus made this promise in the Great Commission when he says, go make disciples, right? Baptize them, teach them everything, and behold, I will be with you. Later again in Acts, right? He says, go, do all these things. I will be with you. I send you out, but I will dwell with you because I enjoy dwelling with you. The king we serve enjoys our company. So practically speaking, what do we do with that? Like, what does this mean? Right, there's this offer given to us to be with Jesus right here and right now. I've said this before, but uh, the, the, the purpose of our life, I would argue, is to be with Jesus and to make disciples of Jesus. And some of us neglect the be with Jesus, just spending time with him in his scripture and his word. And we think, man, God's concerned mainly with what I do for him. But he also wants to be with us. We should be empowered to go forth because he is with us at all times. He enjoys our presence. And I just love this, the picture of Jesus entering into Matthew's world and saying, I'm here with you, Matthew, here with your friends. Now I want to go to my final point, and it's this. Jesus is a king who transforms us. Look what the text says in, in uh, verse 30. Now the Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, it is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So if you do not feel awkward reading that, you should feel a little bit of awkwardness, right? The Pharisees are there, they're showing up, and they're posing this question. They're grumbling. They're like, Jesus, why are you doing this? They're angry. They're frustrated at him. And you're saying, why is he frustrated? Why are they frustrated at him? They say, because you are receiving tax collectors. You are aligning your life with these people. How can you do that, Jesus? Why do you eat and drink with them? Right? It feels like a weird question to us, like, okay, that's a little rude. But what they're really saying is, Jesus, why are you communing with people that we know to be not, they're, they're not holy? Why are you communing with people who have seemingly rejected God? That violates the law of God, doesn't it? And they're, they're condemning Jesus for that. Now, I just want you to imagine yourself hosting a dinner party for a second. Right? You pull out the food or whatever you have, um, right? and you serve all the meals, and then someone is like, why is she here? Like, that's, an, that's awkward enough. Or why is this, who invited them? Right? Like, it's like high drama. Like, the makings of, like, a Netflix show is, like, brewing right there. You're like, I would watch that. Like, I would want to see what happens. Like, there is intensity in this moment, hatred. And so the question is, to us as readers, how is Jesus going to respond to that? Is he going to side with those who uphold the law and those who consider themselves righteous? Or is he going to side with those who have punted on even trying to follow the law of God and have completely thrown their life away? 
That's kind of the question, it seems. Is he going to associate with the Pharisees or the tax collectors? And I love how Jesus responds here. It's perfect. He says, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And Jesus does this all the time where you're like, oh, I wish I could like think of things like that in the moment that are so great, right? He, he just threads the needle and he says, man, I am here to uphold the law. I am here to fulfill the law, but I am also here for the broken, not just to be with them, but to transform them from the inside out, to call them to what they were originally created for, to call them to greatness. I am here to be the, the physician, the healer, He says, that's why I have come, is to transform you. And and for us today, Jesus wants to transform us. I I love what Jeremiah writes in uh, Jeremiah 31, prophesying about the new covenant. He says, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers, I will put my law within them and on their hearts I will write it. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. You see this prophecy made where it's like, yes, the law has been given and the law serves a purpose. But now that there's a day coming when the law will be fulfilled and this new covenant will be established and it won't be like the old covenant like the ones that the fathers, like Abraham followed and Moses followed, it'll be different because the satisfaction of the law will be met in the Messiah. And then the law will be given and written on the very hearts of men and women, and they will be transformed from the inside out. I will be their their God, and they shall be my people. Right? God wants to do something in you. He wants to do something in your life. That he wants to transform you. He doesn't just want to be with you. He wants to transform you and equip you and use you to partner with him in this world. He wants to set you free from that which entangles. Right? I think there's a popular idea sometimes. It's like, yeah, Jesus is just like a good hangout. Or like he just wants to be our buddy, like he's our whatever. And, and, and man, he dwells with us and his presence is with us. But he has a vision for our life that is greater than anything we can imagine. He wants to unlock your potential as a follower of Jesus. He wants to call you to greatness. And so when he looks at Matthew, he says, man, I am here to be a physician and to call sinners to repentance, to bring healing to take disunity and to make unity, to take brokenness and make wholeness, to take a a life that is wasted and to produce flourishing. He says, that's why I have come. Right, I think about my role as a a, uh, pastor here at this church, right? And all pastors have this same job. Our job as pastors is not to do everything for the body, right? We're called to serve you guys. We we, we, We submit ourselves in service to you, but our, our primary job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, right? It's not just to do everything that needs to be done, but it's to empower the body of Christ to lead, to serve, to use their giftings. And I think for some of you, what you need to hear today is that you have a part to play in the life and the body of the church. 
right? I know every pastor at this campus, and do you know what has never been, like, been said? Man, we just, like, we just have enough volunteers, right? We just have enough people serving, right? And, and that's not meant to be a guilt trip, but there just are needs in every corner of the church in college ministry and youth ministry, right? And, get, and re-engage and, and uh, injunction across the board. There are needs. And for some of us, we need to be called to say, man, I, I'm not just called to study, to read, to be with Jesus, but I'm also called to serve in the church, to be transformed so that my gifts are not just used for myself, but for the flourishing of other people around me. And from the beginning, the promise that God continually makes to his people, he starts with Abraham giving this promise and passes it down. He says, I just want to bless the heck out of you. Not so that you get like a cool t-shirt that's like, I'm blessed by God, right? He wants to bless you so that you can be a blessing, not only to your family and your friends, but to every nation on this planet. Man, if we start to use our giftings in that way, where we are called by God to serve one another. The church is unlocked and we are transformed and we become what we are supposed to be in Christ Jesus day by day. So for the non-believer in the room, if you would say, I mean, I'm not sure if I'm a Christian or I'm not a Christian, I'm not so sure about this. Step one is placing your faith in Jesus. Right? We cannot have fellowship with God without Jesus who became flesh, who took on sin, who went to the cross, died, right? Was obliterated by the wrath of God that, that he didn't deserve, but was supposed to be us, what we deserved. He was crucified and buried in the ground and then was raised from the dead by the power of God. And now he sits at the right hand of God, claiming victory over sin and death. What the scriptures say over and over again is that if you believe in the name of Jesus and his work of redemption, that we can't fix ourselves, that the problem is an internal one, not just an external one, but there's something wrong with us. And we believe that God can forgive our sins by his work on the cross. And it says we enter into a relationship with God. We are given the Holy Spirit. He dwells with us from now for all eternity. That's where it starts if you're a non-believer, for the believer in the room, right? I really don't mean this as like a guilt trip, but man, how can you use your giftings, right? I, I, I really don't want to guilt, like guilting people into doing stuff is not a good strategy. That's, I don't want you to feel guilt, but just think and say, man, how can I use what I've been given to serve in the body of the church? How can I begin to turn my inward focus to be an outward focus in the life of the church? So to recap, Jesus is a king who sees us, who dwells with us, and who transforms us. Right, he leads us. So what I want to do to end, I want to lay this before you. This is a, a QR code um, that uh, one of our pastors created. It's actually a link to uh, a scripture reading plan for just this week which kind of covers the movements of Jesus. It kind of aligns the, the, the week of Jesus of Holy Week. Um, and so you can read the different things that Jesus did on each one of those days, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all the way up to his death um, and then resurrection. And so why I give you this, 
right, is, is because my, my heart and my prayer for this morning is that your takeaway would be not to see Jesus as like this distant, famous person, right, or just, man, he's a guy on a stage. He's a guy who did some cool things, but to see him up close and personal as the king who sees us, who dwells with us, who wants to transform us. And one of the ways we do that is by studying the scripture. And so as you read through these, you can see the the reality of Jesus's life and what he went through on our behalf. And so I challenge you, you can scan that QR code. I'll leave that up there uh, for a few minutes and just read through that this, this week with this picture of the King Jesus marching from Jerusalem and being proclaimed king to his eventual death on the cross. So to end today, we want to celebrate communion together. And so everyone in here should have gotten a a little communion cup. Um, If you did not get one, there are some deacons in the back with baskets full of them. So just raise your hand. and they can bring one to you. I'll give you a minute to grab that. Now, communion... Um, from the outside is a strange practice for the church, right? It's like, what do we, what do, we do this? Um, but it's actually something that Jesus commanded us to do. He gave it to us as a gift. Um, it's similar to baptism. We, we are very forgetful people, right? It is so easy to forget the brutality of Jesus' death on the cross. And so Jesus gives us these gifts, like communion, where we get to take Right, a piece of bread and the cup, and we get to remember and reflect on the brutality of Christ's death, but not just in a spirit of sadness of how horrible that is, but how sufficient it is for us. And so as we go through this process, I want you just to remember and think and, and reflect on the payment that Jesus has made on your behalf. So let's read uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 here. This is starting at verse 23. It says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body uh, for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. In the same way, Jesus took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup. This is verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he 
comes. Let us pray together. Well, Father, we are overwhelmed at the kind of king that Jesus is. Help us just to see that this week. Let us internalize that. Let us become acquainted with the type of king we serve. Jesus is not far off or a distant king. He is with us and he desires to call us to greatness. So I pray over the church gathered here and I pray that you would empower us to walk in your spirit. May we not disqualify ourselves. May we receive healing where we need it. May we become known where we need it. And may we serve one another in love until the Lord returns. God, empower us to do this in the name of Jesus. Amen.